Sauce. The sauce. <laughs> the sauce. Yeah. Are you that ready? Is me. Are you, yeah. Uh, are are you like ready to get dangerous? Are you ready to go and fly into the danger zone? Much like Tom Cruise returning to the Top Gun franchise, I've come to bring gravitas and perhaps a bit of fan service to this episode of Epic okay. Film Guys. <laughs> Classic! That's right, ladies and gentlemen, we are here for a special episode of Epic Film Guys Classic. We are actually talking about Top Gun Maverick, and I can't believe, Loisos, that you're the person sitting across from me right now reviewing this movie, <laughs> considering your history with the original Top Gun. Now, let's just get this out of the way. We have to for our listeners. I mean, our, I know our old school EFG listeners, I'm sure you shed on the movie a million times back in the day, but for those that are new, uninitiated, like, I just get it out of the way. How do you feel about the original Tony Scott film from 1986 that is Top Gun? Well, Justin, um, (laughs) (laughs) I have no great affinity for the original Top Gun. Um, Its status as some kind of classic has always kind of mystified me. For a while, I just figured it was one of those, like, you had to be there type things. Um, But a recent rewatch, because I picked up the 4K Ultra HD disc. Let me guess, it changed your mind completely, like it was a revelation, like it's now one of your five five favorite movies of all time. No. Um, <laughs> but there are things that I like about it. It reminded me, okay, you know, oh, okay. love the soundtrack, of course. Um, I, I can't fault the movie on its technical achievements. Uh, and, and perhaps the best thing about the movie is the absolutely unbridled and frankly hilarious homoeroticism that pervades oh there it was now it came out finally i was waiting i wanted to hear it pronounced correctly i had several freudian slips because i started getting hot and bothered thinking of that uh beach volleyball volleyball scene scene. Uh, it's enough (laughs) to get anyone hot and bothered i mean even myself 10 years old first time watching it i was Straight as can be, and I was like, eh, maybe I'm partially gay. I don't know, but it, no, it, for real, straight it's, as can be. Um, <laughs> I, I listen, laugh. We all know there's a little listeners. We know there's a little person <laughs> inside you. Well, he who shall not be named. Listeners, <laughs> they, they're very familiar with that person. But yes, uh, I am Justin, and I am joined by EFG Classic Icon, the God of Podcasting. Loy sauce. I have to do that manually because Nick is not here and we don't have a soundboard. But Loy sauce, we had an opportunity to see Top Gun Maverick early, like what was it, last week or something like that upon this recording? And we're recording this in the middle of May. So we got to see it like a couple of weeks, three weeks early, right? That is correct. Yes. Um, we were lucky enough to be in a packed IMAX theater for our IMAX, f- yes. first experience with Top Gun Maverick. And uh, I mean, Thoughts on the movie aside, if you're going to see Top Gun Maverick, that's the way you should see it. Uh, yeah, that's, I guess, uh, the first and foremost before we even get into the actual review of the movie. Um, we are going to be touching on light spoilers. So if you're, if, I mean, I don't even know how to approach this anymore. There's not if much you go to in, spoil. There's a couple big know, scenes that we're going to get into. Um, so if you're maybe wanting to wait and see if the movie has any surprises in store, maybe wait and then come back and listen to this after you see it. But um, it's, it's Top Gun. You know what you're getting into. Yeah. I mean, I think like the, the number one question that everyone asked me on all of my social media for my blurb that I did on the film was about Val Kilmer. And I think that's obviously the elephant in the room that needs to be addressed. I think fans need to know about that element of the movie. So we're definitely going to go into that. That's for sure. Um, but yeah, we got to see the movie. We had to see it in IMAX. And the first thing that needs to be said is if you're going to see this movie in the theater, which you need to see it in the theater, this is not a movie to be seen at home. If you have an IMAX within an hour's drive, go see it in IMAX. Well, the thing is, too, Justin, matter. this movie was originally slated to come out January 12th, 2019, which is insane. That's right. A lifetime 2019. ago. Um, yeah. it, it was delayed until summer of 2020. And then, of course, the pandemic happened and then it was kicked down the road several more times. Um, 
do you think that they waited until just the right time to release this? Do you think this movie would have been, um, it wouldn't have the same impact or feel if this was one of those movies that they released to like Paramount Plus or something like that? Dude, I'm telling you right now, it would have been the biggest mistake in motion picture sequel history to have released this movie. Well, <laughs> that's a pretty movies. bold statement. I, I'm, I'm saying, <laughs> I mean, uh, I'll, I'll be getting into my initial thoughts on the movie in a few minutes, but I mean, really, uh, my, one of my main takeaways here was this is event cinema. This really is tentpole event cinema at its best. Like, this is really what you go to the movies for, you know, summer blockbuster popcorn film but it has emotion deeply rooted within its themes and its storyline and its characters and it literally shocked me this movie fucking blew me away and i can't wait to get into the the deep depth of what top gun maverick is i mean whoever thought that top gun maverick could be a deep movie and you know you're looking at me weird it does get pretty deep for a top gun movie for a top gun movie yes it there it absolutely you go. does so yeah, that's right. So this is a sequel over 30 years in the making. Um, this movie's been actually in like some kind of development hell for a long time. Even Tony Scott, while he was alive, was originally going to be doing a sequel to this movie. And I remember, I think it was back in 2010. Maybe I'm wrong on that date. Um, but when he was asked about the idea for a new Top Gun, he said, this world fascinated me because it's so different from what it was originally but I don't want to do a remake. I don't want to do a reinvention. I want to do a new movie. And at that point, the film was reportedly going to be focusing on the end of dogfighting, that era, and the role of drones in modern aerial warfare. Thank and I'm God so thankful they didn't go that they direction. They didn't fucking do that I also that heard shit. that they wanted to greatly reduce the role of Maverick in the film. And That's right. Thank yeah. God they he didn't do that either. No, I mean, that's, dude, seriously, say what you want about Tom Cruise. I know he gets a lot of flack. I know people still can't get over that him jumping on the couch nonsense from like 15 years ago. He's a weirdo and he loves himself, but he produces amazing movies. Like if Tom Cruise is the front man in in a movie and there are some exceptions, we're looking at you, 2017, The Mummy. um, And maybe the Jack Reacher movies. Sure, especially the second one. And also Oblivion is not very good. Oblivion looks pretty. Sure, All right, sure. Let's... But anyway, it, it, I'm mostly talking about the Mission Impossible uh, franchise and now Top Gun. Like, the, um, you know you're going to get a high-quality uh, movie product, I guess. and um, For sure. And this movie, I mean, like I said, the original I find to be very vapid, very smarmy. Um, so I was not interested in a legacy. Oh, you sequel. forgot like military propaganda. That's what, that's what you were saying. <laughs> yes, it is na- very nakedly. Um, not that this isn't, but I mean, right. Um, and so I, you know, the idea of legacy sequels being such a big thing in Hollywood right now, like it certainly would attempt to prey on my nostalgia for the original, but I don't have any nostalgia for the original. So I, I went in very skeptically, um, and I just mentioned Oblivion, the fact that Joseph Kaczynski, who directed this, helmed um, another cruise vehicle that sucked, and also uh, another Legacy sequel that, despite its virtues, didn't turn out so well, which was Tron Legacy. Um, there's a lot to like about that movie, but that's another conversation. Um, I, I wasn't necessarily looking forward to Top Gun Maverick at all, um, but... I'm very pleased to announce that this movie fucking rules. Yeah. I loved it. That, <laughs> like, that I mean, like, it, it's so crazy to think, like, I, I was excited for this movie. I mean, it was 2019, right? That's when it was supposed to come out. That was one of my most anticipated movies of that year. And then it was my most anticip- one of my most anticipated movies for 2020, and then 2021, and then it's like, okay, when are we getting this fucking movie? And finally, they're they're releasing it in May of 2022. And um, if you watch talk shows with Tom Cruise, which I've done, a, I've watched a few, um, he has aged since the movie. It is apparent they shot this thing like four or five years ago at this point. So it's like he's not an alien, ladies and gentlemen. He is aging. He's human for the most part. Unless I mean, unless he's one of those 
Terminators that has the aging effect. I don't know. Who knows? But um, yeah, 100%. We, we got to get into our initial thoughts on the movie. So we went and saw this thing early. And I have to say right off the bat, the first scene, uh, this movie just shoots you into the fucking sky. And I feel like for the whole majority of the movie, it never lets you come back down to the ground until the end. Like I felt like I was lifted into the air and in a different world entirely. And I think a lot of that comes from that, that the fact that Tom Cruise is so dedicated to every movie he makes, like make no mistake, you and I both agree that Mission Impossible Fallout and the majority of those later Mission Impossible movies are some of the best action movies of the last 20 years, particularly Fallout. But it's because of his dedication to his craft and to making his movies as realistic as possible. So they're so immersive. I mean, this movie, when it starts, you kind of have an idea where it's going and then you're just not ready for it. I felt like the theater seats needed fucking seat belts, man. Yeah, I mean, well, right away, before the main titles have even finished, uh, the film ticks about 20 nostalgia boxes because you have like the Top Gun instrumental theme playing and then Kenny Loggins' Danger Zone comes on in the first, you know, two minutes of the movie. There's like a montage the camera's panning across photos of characters from the original film, and it's all very nostalgic. Um, and then we catch up with uh, Captain Pete Mitchell, call sign Maverick, in a pretty insanely over-the-top and hilarious <laughs> sequence wherein he disobeys orders just so he can hit Mach 10. And the movie just goes from there. Like, it hits that level right in the opening scene, and then it just gets even more, uh, it ups the ante even more as the film goes on. Um, but the, basically the setup is because of his kind of impudence, his kind of like fly by the seat of his pants kind of nature, he's grounded after 36 years of service. And basically he's told that he is being sent back to Top Gun to teach a new generation of hotshot pilots. So it's a very much kind of that passing the torch legacy sequel thing. See what they did there? Yeah. At least they gave a good reasoning for it. It wasn't like just shoehorned in. I mean, of course it's shoehorned in, but I mean, like they, they had that awesome opening sequence, which is very intense, very fantastic. Because the movie and could have just exactly... opened with him like being called into the office and they're like, you're going back to Top Gun. But like they actually contrived a reason as to why he would be grounded after. Well, yeah. And they gave like a very intense, uh, I would say impressive opening action sequence that was very intense. Again, over the top and far-fetched, but you know, it's entertainment. It's pure entertainment. But think about it now. I mean, you think about what Top Gun was in 86, right? And then you think about what it needs to be in 2022 for modern audiences. And I think that opening sequence definitely set the stage for like, okay, we're going to go there. And then the majority of the movie, for the most part, I mean, it is a little bit heightened in reality, but still grounded enough where it felt real for It me. doesn't like, get like the, fast the and furious levels of silly. Yeah, and it's never silly, actually, I would say at all. I think it's always intense and rooted in emotion and connecting that emotion with the audience to make it exciting and also you know, have you drawn to the characters and every action? So yes, it, it, it's funny because it's like within the first 15 minutes of the movie, you're like, it's where you'd expect Maverick to be though. Like yeah. he's, he's in trouble, man. He's like, he's this old ass dude, but he's like, no, I still look like I did back in the 80s. He's a little weathered, a little, you know, older, obviously, but he's still the same character as he was in the original. Although the original, he doesn't have much of a character. He just kind of grins the entire time. Oh, and... sure he does. He's Tom Cruise. <laughs> That's the thing, though. He's Tom Cruise. <laughs> he's basically... Wait, back... He's Seriously, that's old Hollywood, though, right? You got to remember. Maybe the 80s kind of went back to old Hollywood in a way where, sure, you could get a good performance. See Tom Cruise in Cocktail. He's great in that movie. That's a performance. <laughs> Um, but for real though, I mean like the eighties was kind of like the return to like the John Wayne era, if you will, where you're playing that version of yourself that everyone loves and that's what they want. And that's why Tom Cruise in the eighties played that version of himself in so many movies. Cause everyone, we want that. We want the it factory. We want, he's attractive. He smiles at the camera a lot. There it is. He makes girls wet their pants and dudes and, yeah, too. I was so, about to say, yeah, don't count those out too. So, 
Definitely not. So yeah, I mean, like here, and as we've seen with you know the last twenty years of Tom Cruise movies, he is you know definitely pushed himself and dedicated himself to bringing these characters, making them more fleshed out at least. And he's he wants them to be somebody. You know what I mean? Exactly. That's something that you can tell is the most important thing to him in terms of being a producer on these movies and being obviously he has creative control over this thing. Yeah, and. You know, uh, I think they try, at least in this movie, to give Maverick an arc to his character. Because in the original, again, he's just like this grinning goon. He's just like this very Mary Sue character, very few, if any, flaws. Um, Virtually zero flaws, actually. Um, But in this one, they they gave him a little something. They gave a a little nugget of, uh, of, of pathos to his character. He has struggles, and he has doubts, and... And, um, you know, his personal goals, um, because when he arrives at Top Gun, he instantly butts heads with uh, Lieutenant Bradley Bradshaw, callsign Rooster, played by Miles Teller, who's the son of Maverick's friend um, who was killed, uh, Lieutenant Nick Bradshaw, callsign Goose. So Rooster and Goose, you see they have call signs that are technically different, but basically the same. Which is a very also, legacy sequel thing you, to do. <laughs> if you're if you're an audience member and you didn't know it was his kid, from that you can tell because he has a mustache. He does have a mustache, and he's wearing in his first scene in the movie. He's wearing a fucking uh, Hawaiian shirt with the mustache and like legit the same sunglasses. We'll get to, and he's acting just like yeah, him too. We'll, we'll, we'll like, get to more of that later on. Because uh, I have problems with that, but oh. basically, so so Maverick, um, so they actually have a mission this time, um, which I think helps give the movie a little bit more, a um, little bit more of a pace, a little bit more tension, because um, they're actually trying to work to accomplish something together. They have to perform this uh, maneuver in order to bomb an enemy base, and that's established right off the bat. Whereas in the original, like the Soviet surveillance planes at the end just kind of show up and there's no buildup to it. Um, but in this, uh, they actually have a goal that they're working toward. Um, so Maverick is now faced with, you know, putting his students through this seemingly unachievable life threatening mission. And he also kind of has to confront the ghosts of his past too, because rooster in this movie, um, Obviously, he feels resentment towards Maverick. Uh, there's tension between the characters because uh, Rooster blames Maverick for the death of his father. Uh, but at the same time, Maverick is wanting to kind of be a father figure to Rooster, to kind of be the father that Rooster never had. So there, there's a really strong emotional core there. And the Maverick character is as well-written and well-rendered a character as he possibly can be, considering what little they had to work with from the first time around. So, you know, I give the movie plenty of props for that. Yeah, so, I mean, as soon, I mean the, the thing about the movie is... Um, there's really no fat to cut off the thing. I mean, we get that opening sequence, we get the nostalgia shoved in your face right off the bat. And I love that it does that and it gets it out of the way for people, I think. And then once Maverick is sent back to top gun and he has to instruct this fresh group of, I guess what they call themselves the best in the world, the elite of the elite, if you will. Um, then the movie takes off. I mean, immediately, and it never it never looks back. One of my favorite scenes in the movie. It's very early on. It's before any of these elite of the elite realize who their teacher is, and they're at the original bar from Top Gun, which I love that they're keeping that continuity. And there's that nostalgia factor there without it being shoved in your face. But obviously, like every base has a bar they go to on their off time. You know, it's kind of the the watering hole, if you will to chill out and fucking have some free time and get buzzed up and maybe get laid if you will. And they're there. And, you know, we, we see Maverick meeting one of his old flames here played by Jennifer Connelly. Now we need, I think we need to address the fact that, um, yeah, someone's missing from this movie and a lot of people talked about it. Um, from the first movie, Brian, you know what I'm talking about? 
Well, clearly, I mean, they took a look at Kelly McGillis and they were like, that's not happening. Can't have that. Um, so Kelly McGillis is, is nowhere to be found. But I think that works to the movie's benefit because it would be incredibly unrealistic for them to still be together all of this time. And besides, I think people are forgetting in the original film, like, she takes a job in Washington at the end and there's this whole goodbye sequence between the two of them and they both know that they're not probably not really going to ever see each other. So I found that to be way more, um, you know, realistic. Um, poor Kelly McGillis. She wasn't even contacted and she was asked about it and she said, I know why it's cause I got old and fat and you know, that's why. Um, I mean, there, there's a shot of her in the movie, which is from the original and they even went as far as making sure the shot in the movie, the scene or whatever they included, was a scene where you could barely see her in the background. So, um, I mean, but, you know, that aside, I mean, I understand why they decided not to include her. Um, but Jennifer Conley, a very welcome addition. How great is it, Brian, seeing these two back together again and seeing her in a big movie again like this, playing Penelope Penny Benjamin, which is obviously his new love interest, a single mother, a bar owner, and a daughter of a former admiral. Um, and obviously we know they have a history because as soon as Maverick sits down at the bar, she doesn't seem all that happy to see him. Like, maybe things didn't go so well the last time they met. Yeah, it's it's true. You know, the, the movie needed to have some kind of romance subplot. Um Number one, you have to show Tom Cruise having a romance with a lady to show everyone in the audience that he's not gay. He's not gay, everyone. He has a romance with a lady, so there's that out of the way. You also need to have um, a, just a little bit of that old-school, classic Hollywood love story to give it kind of that human connection. Um, you can instantly connect with and relate to um, a romance between two attractive people on screen and Jennifer. Very, Con- well, very attractive. That's the thing is that Jennifer Connelly has always been beautiful, but I mean, still in she this looks, movie, she like, looks amazing, dude. I mean, she looks, uh, there's something slightly different here. Now I, I, cause I'm remembering her from one of my favorite movies of all time, which I'm going to mention because I have the opportunity to, cause I'm talking about her, which is the rocketeer. I was going to say career um, opportunities. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's interesting because, um, I looked at pictures of her and I'm like, dude, she must have got her jawline shaved or something, which is a thing. You can shave your jawline because her face is like as sharp as a dagger in this movie. Now, I, granted, I have not seen her in a movie in a while. And I know she's on that Snowpiercer, the the, the television sh- series or whatever. Um, but I haven't seen her anything in a long time. So I was like shocked. But she looks amazing and also she's definitely much younger than tom cruise right isn't she well, she's younger than him right i it would not surprise me because tom cruise's uh love interests as he gets gradually older they seem to get gradually younger, younger. um <laughs> of so course. Th- i think right? jennifer Connolly is slightly more age appropriate um for for cruise in this film but um yeah, I, I, I like their romance. I think it works very well and it leads to a lot of um, really sweet and also very funny scenes, the two of them together. There is a gag in the bar scene, which you mentioned, of her forcing Maverick to buy drinks for everyone in the bar that goes on for a little bit too long. Like they they really overdo it in that in that scene, um, lay it on a little bit thick, but um, I like the two of them together. There is a scene where it looks like they're about to recreate the love scene from the original and then it awkwardly fades away to them just kind of in bed together. Well, and that's the thing, man. You know, it felt a little sanitized. It. it is sanitized because for some reason, Hollywood just does not want sex in movies anymore. They don't. Yeah. It's like the it's it's if, if that's the version of the most sexy thing we can see in a, in a modern PG-13 blockbuster, there's something fucking wrong with the world. I swear to God, dude, kids can open up their, the kid watching Top Gun Maverick, right? He's 13 years old. When he goes to take a piss at the movie theater while the movie's going on, he can go into the stall and look at fucking Pornhub on his phone <laughs> quicker than he's going to see a sex scene like a legitimately realistic sex scene in Top Gun Maverick. It's bullshit to me. You have two of the most beautiful people in the world, right? 
from Hollywood in this movie together. And sure, they're making out. Sure, Tom Cruise is topless. Not saying I need full nudity from both of them. I do. But <laughs> okay, I do, I do need. I, I do want that. Okay, maybe it's we because all want they're that. older and they wanted it to be a little bit more mature. But like, I don't know. I, there is a disturbing kind of return to like haze code era puritanism in movies and it's it's with all movies man it's not even this this is just a prime example as we watch this movie you know the montage itself felt kind of like a throwback to the original sure but the passion in the original obviously it's the 80s so it's over the top and it's fucking like music video-esque if you will but here it just felt like they're just going through the motions to to put it there. So it's like, here, this is here. We're doing it, but it's there's really no impact there. I remember us looking at each other because there's the moment where he they kind of fall back onto the sheets and she's on the pillow. And, it, and then it just kind of fades. And we looked at each other and we were like, that was it? I was like, oh, man, are they going to go there? And then it was like instant disappointment. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I know it's PG-13. You're not going to see like Brian, hardcore fucking in the movie, but uh, give when us, did when did give us a when little did movies something. become so neutered? Like when did they become so mild and weak? I don't know, but um, you see people on Twitter. And I know Twitter is a uh, very small subsection microcosm of the you know grander population, but. Um, you have people on Twitter saying like sex scenes are unnecessary in movies and it always seems like uh, Hollywood's trying to add sex scenes where they don't belong and they don't advance the story. And when did people ever, ever, ever care about whether a sex scene Listen, advanced the story or not? <laughs> like the sex w- scenes are not there. Remove, remove scenes of people eating then because that's the most disturbing, disgusting thing in anything. I don't want to see people eating, but people are eating in almost every fucking movie. Remove that from the movie. Dude, I don't think there's anything wrong as much as they eat. <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with watching, uh, you know, beautiful people pretend to get it on the beautiful people. In, the beautiful people. In, in a movie. It's entertainment. Um, and uh, it's titillation. That's what I mean. That's what these movies are. They're giving us action. They're giving us, you know, um, drama, excitement. Yeah. So. They're giving me a boner. If I can get all of that out of one movie, I'm like, yeah. You know, price of admission. Now, granted, I didn't pay for the ticket for this movie, but I will be, I will be, I'll be saying this right now. I will be paying for that six-story IMAX 4K laser projected IMAX. I'm traveling. If Nick were here. If Nick were here, he'd be soundboard me to hell. (laughs) But um, I'm pretty sure I told our listeners that I moved. But yeah, I, I think I did. But either way, I moved like an hour away from that IMAX. But I'm going to be driving back to that IMAX to see this movie again. That's how much I fucking loved this movie. Um, but yeah, it's just like, you know, that's it, a conversation, I guess, for a, an episode all to itself. But it does bother me. I feel like that Hollywood is so quick to allow certain things in movies, but not others. And I don't understand it. Especially when you look at other media. You look at Instagram. Dude, I see more asses and breasts and crotch shots from dudes on Instagram just from flicking through for five minutes than you'll see in a movie. And and, and I don't understand why movies don't want to be sexy anymore. But again, alas, here we are. And one thing that I want to mention, you know, is a, 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 a comment to what you said about that scene in the bar. Yes, it was a little bit long. But this is our first scene where we have Rooster and Maverick in the same location. And you're getting to meet the other, I'm sorry to interrupt, but you're getting to meet the other, um, yes, as well, pilots as well, team members, yes. And, um, obviously in this one, they decided to because it's 2022, um, they diversified it a little bit, which was nice to see. Um, because it the first movie is a sausage fest, ain't no women in that film at all, and then it's about an hour. And 20 minutes or so into the film where the first black man appears and you're like, whoa, <laughs> a black person in, in this movie. Like it's it's like a, it's like a shock because it's been yeah, but here. We've got we've got, you know, African-American team members. We've got Latino, um, Latino team members, female as well. Um, and they're all, again, the elite of the elite. And I really love it's funny because sometimes in legacy sequels, you're just waiting to see 
the old characters come back. You're bored by the new ones. But I actually was really interested in these new characters, and they had a great chemistry together, and they felt real world to 2022, but it still felt like that same mentality from the 80s. You know what I mean? A little bit where it was like they're just like very down to earth, and all they care about is their craft. They just care about being pilots. Like that's their passion. But this scene for me was the most powerful emotionally because this is the first time we see Rooster and Maverick in the same spot. And that whole, you know, drawn out sequence that you thought took too long um, added to the emotional weight of what would be building throughout the rest of the movie. Maverick gets kicked out of the bar, right? So Penny gets him kicked out of the bar. He's thrown out the side door. And this is one of the scenes that bothered you a little bit i hated this it pissed me off but rooster sits down at the piano and he plays the same song that his dad goose did in the original top gun which i loved i thought it was a great throwback and then maverick instantly feels that emotional connection and is now immediately worried about oh my god i didn't realize i'd have to face this head on as he's watching rooster through the window and the expression on his face pure performance from Tom Cruise. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell um, me I'm wrong. You're not wrong because I do think that that scene was necessary. You kind of have um, Maverick forced to reckon with his past and you get the sense that he's not prepared to do it. He wasn't prepared to um, be confronted with, you know, having to deal with his guilt because he blames himself too. Um, you know, part of the... Uh, arc of this film is like Maverick also learning to forgive himself and um, that emotional core is necessary but to have him sing the same fucking song he could have sang a, a different song and it still would have cut back to the footage from the original film Listen, but the footage from the original film has him as a little boy sitting at the top of the piano listening to his daddy playing the song exactly but he's like two he wouldn't remember it's the, the same like he wouldn't remember the song I was two when I remember getting my first Teddy Roxpin. All right. So I remember that shit. It, it just. That kid can remember that song. That was way too on the nose for me. Like the, the fact that he sang the exact same song, it felt very um, like it was using the original as a crutch. And I do think as much as, you know, the movie does things that are new, um, I do think this movie jerked off the original a little bit too much. Um, there are a lot of like callbacks for the sake of callbacks. That was the most egregious. That great Listen, balls of fire scene. You you being a fan of some of the newer Star Wars movies, and you're saying this thing jacked up. Well, on the original, no, too much? because I know Come that on. I know that legacy sequels, like I said, I mean, are very rigidly, uh, fawningly reverent, reverent. Excuse me to to their predecessors. I mean, a, a recent example would be Ghostbusters Afterlife. I enjoyed that film, but. Um, that movie is a Love slave, a slave to the original. Even crap like um, the Craft Legacy, where it's like, let's basically remake the original, and then we'll decide to be a sequel in the oh last God, two Brian. seconds of the movie. Dude, I'm the I only totally one. forgot that existed. I'm the Holy only one fuck. who watched it. <laughs> oh my God. No, for real. Like I literally just looked at you when you said that, and I was like, wait, there's a Craft? I was like, oh my God, they did one, and no one remembers it including myself. Well, that and I wasn't even drawn. That's the thing like that that for example, that's a, a example of a bad legacy sequel. This is an example of a great legacy sequel even though I do think it leans a little bit too hard on the callbacks sometimes. But like I said, we're introduced to a whole new team um and as you said, they do give each of them a little bit of personality, or rather just enough personality uh, to make you care about them. The standout, though, for me was Glenn, I know who it is. Glenn Powell. Glenn Powell, yeah, as Hangman. Hangman. Now, yeah. I remember being impressed with Glenn Powell from the Richard Linklater film, Everybody Wants Some. Um, and here, I mean, he just has this very affable energy. He, he's kind of a little bit like Iceman in the original or, or like... Han he's very much the, the surrogate for Iceman in this movie. Or like, you know, kind of that Han Solo roguish. Like he has this huge mouth, but a heart of gold. And I, I, I liked his character a lot. And I think he added a lot to the film, especially in the end. He kind of disappears from the movie from a little bit. And I'm like, where, where do you go? But then he comes back at just the right moment. And you're like, yes, perfect. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I actually really liked that character right from the beginning, even though he was like hot shot. You needed that kind of character in this movie. And obviously Rooster is not that guy. He's constantly second guessing himself. He's he's kind of like his dad because Goose was a confident guy, but he's nowhere near being as headstrong as uh, the majority of the original fly team in the original movie. Um, he's definitely, you know, someone that's still not come completely into his own. It's, it's obvious he has the talent. He's very well regarded in terms of his technique, but he's not there yet. And we know something that Maverick did in order to, to hold him back from that because of Maverick's skill over Goose. Um, and obviously we find out that Rooster's mom is no longer with us either. So even more of a reason for Maverick to want to step into that role um, Maverick himself, never been married, never had any kids. So, uh, I love that they left off with that. So that makes more sense here and, and, and giving him that fatherly position. Um, it's, it's kind of that thing in most movies where they try to take a teacher that's not a teacher and make them a teacher. Like I felt like it was school of rock, like here, you need to go be a teacher and you're not one, you know, but then they fall into it. But in this movie, like, I feel like within the first 10 minutes, Maverick's already like, all right, I'm a teacher, whatever. Yeah, He's they could have done more with that. these kids to their limit. Yeah, they could have done more with that a little bit. I think it could have maybe led to some comedic possibilities uh, to see him kind of settle into that role a little bit more. Um, instead, he just kind of shows up and immediately is giving them those military briefings. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> but it worked. It worked. And, and, um, they and had other things to right focus the on. The one thing I have to say is I love John Hamm. Mad Men is one of my favorite shows, literally, of all time. And it's good to see him show up in movies. I just wish the, I wish the dude was getting like better roles than this. He's played Cyclone, a vice admiral. Uh, it's cool to see, like, again, I'm glad he showed up. He's like this stern, like, military dude. But I'm like, dude, after Mad Men, like, he's done nothing of, of quality value. Um, just really, really big bummer. But also another standout who's only in the movie for like a few minutes, but Ed Harris showing up in the movie. Looking old um, as hell, but still old as fuck. Bro. Great to see I him. I was like, he's going to disintegrate any minute, but it was great to see him. Um, before we get into the, you know, the strongest aspect of the movie, um, before this movie came out for like a decade before it. Val Kilmer himself had campaigned on his social media page that he wanted to reprise his role in the movie. This was not a given. This wasn't like it because we know his health issues. He had cancer. He can barely speak and such. Um, and then the rap in 2018 reported he would be in the movie. And Jerry Bruckheimer, who's the original producer on the original movie, he's the producer again here. They said they wanted to bring Kilmer back, but Apparently, Brian, it was Tom Cruise himself who was the one that was the most adamant and tirelessly insisted in bringing him back to reprise his role. And I have to say, man, I know you haven't seen Val's documentary yet. I recommend everyone listening to this right now. It's on Amazon Prime. Go watch Val Kilmer's documentary. It's fucking beautiful. It's emotional. It's a tearjerker. But it's a great ride. But Brian... I am so fucking happy they included him in this movie. I feel like the movie would not be what it is without seeing the Iceman back. And what a beautiful performance by Val Kilmer uh, to the level that only he could give in this movie. I just, oh man, it made me tear up like every single thinking about it right now. I'm about to do it too. It's like um, <laughs> just seeing him. I mean, and they, they play it so perfectly too. They build it up so well. I mean, we know that the only reason, you know, that... It, Maverick is reassigned to Top Gun instead of just being fucking booted out of there is four-star Admiral Tom Iceman Kazansky, um, who is a friend of Maverick's. He's the one still holding on and helping him out. And um, the scenes of him in this movie, I just got to hear what you think about it because I, I know that it affected me deeply. Well, that was the first of two times I cried during Top Gun Maverick. So um, that should give you a sense of, again, as someone who has no deep ties to the original, who 
thinks the original is actively bad um, or not good. You don't think it's bad. It's not good, but... It's a good movie. I think this movie retroactively makes the original more meaningful because of that relationship between Maverick and Iceman that was established in the first movie. Seeing how their relationship has developed over the years and, and Maverick looking to Iceman for, for guidance in a moment of doubt. And that just gives the whole thing just the, this layer of poignancy. And I was wondering, leading up to, and even while I was watching the film, how much they were going to include him. Because I knew that he was included somehow, but I didn't know to what capacity. And at the beginning, they show a portrait of Iceman. And I'm like, well, is that it? Is that all we're going to get? Because it wouldn't surprise me if that were the case. And then you see Maverick texting back and forth with Iceman, and they have text conversations that the audience reads. And you're like, well, is this their, um, is this how he's, quote, in the movie, but not really in the movie? I mean, uh, his listen, presence is there, but yeah. is. He- not to go off on a tangent, but we've heard from filmmakers before Terminator Dark Fate. James Cameron's like, Eddie Furlong's in the movie. And we saw how that turned out. Right, right. So I didn't know. Like, are they going to do a flashback and have like a CGI? You know, you never know with these. Um, so but no. No, he's in a beautiful scene that has a lot of quiet heart and humor to it. Um, quiet because they played it exactly right. They didn't give him hardly any dialogue. In fact, um, they give him... a. Uh, a computer that he types his lines onto, but every single line is exactly what you, you would expect him to say. Yeah. Well, yes, but in a way that is like comforting and, and emotional, not like you're telegraphing everything. Like it feels right. The the whole, really the whole movie, but especially this scene just felt right in a way yeah, so, that yeah, um, it's, yeah, it really stirred the emotions, and um, that was that was definitely a highlight of the movie for me, including him in a way um, where they acknowledged his health issues, uh, but in- still included him in a very meaningful way. I mean, and he looks like Iceman. I mean, they did his hair like it used to look, and they had him in the right outfit, and it was amazing to see Kilmer... Uh, acting alongside Tom Cruise and them doing a brilliant job together and the chemistry was still there and you could just feel them doing the scene together. Uh, Heart-wrenching, man. I literally was just like tears rolling down my eyes and he does speak in some of the scenes. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't watched his documentary, again, you're probably not familiar with the fact that Val Kilmer has throat problems and when he talks, it sounds, he has to use like one of those speech enhancers so he doesn't really sound like a person. He sounds kind of like a robot. And when he does speak, it does sound like him in the movie. But it may be enhanced. I'm not sure. But it sounds like Val Kilmer to me. It looks like Val Kilmer. And such a welcome addition. And I'm so thankful that Tom Cruise insisted. Basically, what I'm hearing is, is he was like, I'll do this movie if, if we put Val in it. Like, he has to be in the movie. Well, Tom Cruise's insistence... Uh, obviously as a producer, he has a lot of pull. He's the guy in Hollywood. Um, so obviously at the end of the day, what he says goes. And so I think his insistence on, uh, that as well as, um, from what I read based on the action scenes, he insisted no CGI aerial shots. All of the close up shots of the actors in the cockpit are real. Here we go. Obviously, there's CGI, (laughs) but the movie does not rely on CGI in a way that's cartoonish or takes you out of the movie. It's only used when necessary. The movie was shot entirely on 6K IMAX cameras, specially formatted. They had to specially format the cameras for the cockpit sequences. Um, So again, there is a dedication here to continually... Upping, upping the ante in his action efforts. Um, there's tension and there's tangibility. You feel as if you're in the cockpit. Um, you know, the aerial acrobatics, like jaw-dropping, like edge-of-your-seat stuff. 
Um, the movie starts with Maverick literally hitting Mach 10, so it sets the bar early, but the ending sequence, well, there's one training sequence early on, one simulation sequence that tops it, and then the se- the extended sequence at the end is just phenomenal. The like third some of the act best. of this movie, the third act of this movie is just, I mean, I feel like some of the best action movie cinema in modern filmmaking and I can't even tell you it literally I mean it makes other summer blockbusters feel mild by comparison I was on the edge of my seat this is a theme park fucking ride as a movie I swear to god they could take this movie and make it a theme park ride like we need Top Gun the ride (laughs) I need that shit spin me around um no other movie makes you feel like you're in the seat of the hero like this one does And I love the fact that Tom Cruise required all of the actors that were going to be playing pilots to go to flight school for a few weeks. This is his dedication. It's insane, but it it works. Is it though? I mean, like for real, if you're going to be playing pilots, you should know how it feels to be one, especially if you're going to be doing scenes like that instead of just faking it. Um, And it shows all of it feels so real. I don't know if you recall, Brian, but there are some sequences where I literally was inching from the back of my seat all the way to the edge and gripping the sides of my chair. Folks, this is not an exaggeration. I witnessed it with my own eyes, Justin, and literally on the edge of his seat. This rarely ever happens to me. Uh, I mean, I was and I was totally sober. No drugs, I swear to God. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you, we saw Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness together. Really enjoyed it. I gave it an 8 out of 10 in my review. Um, But you know the entire time you're watching actors against a green screen. um, It's it's all crafted in a very controlled environment. Um, There's no real sense of danger. Um, You know that Doctor Strange is going to be in the next 12 movies. I didn't know if Maverick was going to make it out of this movie alive. I, I wasn't sure. So... The fact that the movie has that sense of danger and has that sense of, um, because again, like the time is ticking and they really do a good job throughout the film of setting up just like how seemingly impossible this mission is, where they have a very, very small window of time to execute this mission. And if they miss it, then they're fucked because they have like heat seeking missiles that are firing at them. And, you know, they've um, got enemy enemies in the sky that'll be coming after them. Now, Brian, there is some confusion on my end, and I told you this. I mean, we saw the movie one time, and I was paying attention, but who are the enemies in the movie? I think (laughs) to avoid controversy, to avoid enemy fire, so to say, um, I don't think they mentioned it, unless it uh, it could have been mentioned very briefly, and I missed it. When we were going pee-pee, when we went to the bathroom for like two seconds. Uh, But but it was... I watched that briefing scene and I didn't catch it. Um, I want to say that it might be the Russians because in the original film, it's the Soviets. So maybe, but I don't think it's ever explicitly said. It doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter (laughs) in the end. But so we've gone into spoilers, but I don't want to go so deep into spoilers in case people want to listen to some of this and then watch the movie. But the end scene, like the third act, there is some great shit that happens that are great surprises in there. Was not expecting. Because you think the movie's over. You're like, okay, it's wrapping and up. it's not. And then it goes on for another like 20 minutes in a good way. It's not- A great it, way. Yeah, it's not like, oh boy, here we go. Like it, it's, it really feels like a detour that you weren't expecting. And it gives us some of the best stuff in the movie, I think. And closes the, uh, the loop. Puts a nice little- ribbon on the relationship between Maverick and Rooster because you know um their storyline could have been could have been wrapped up you know one way but they decided to do it another way that was very moving and fun it reminded me a lot of kind of that interplay again going back to legacy sequels but um, in the force awakens when Finn and Poe are kind of having their little banter and they're trying to escape the the um empire base and you're like okay like i like these characters and i like i want to see more of them 
that's what it reminded me of. Um, so yeah, super, super fun. I mean, I was practically skipping out of the theater when the movie ended because of the strength of that third act. And I turned to you and I proclaimed something so heavily strong. And I, I mean, it, it still rings true right now. I said, I'm pretty sure that's my favorite movie of the year so far. And it's crazy because yeah. I'm a Batman guy and I loved the Batman. I loved Ty West's X. I loved a lot of different movies for so me far it's uh, everything everywhere all at once it's still my favorite i love that movie as well um it's been a great year for movies it really it has really fucking has but no movie up until this point has made me feel this big of a thrill and this deep emotionally um and all the spectrum of what you expect from a big action blockbuster like this and will jurassic world dominion do the same thing i doubt it i'm still going to see it but i mean in terms of what this movie is supposed to do for the general moviegoer it it did it in spades and then more and i can't wait to fucking see it again tom cruise is brilliant in the movie the action sequences are unparalleled in terms of dude that just the shots man i mean they're just so beautiful to look at you feel like you're there in the cockpit of a fucking fighter jet flying through mountains it's just it's it's totally different from what we're so used to and i'm not here to shit on the marvel movies or superhero movies because i like those too or anything else but none of those movies at all get anywhere close to making you feel like you're inside the seat of the pilot like like being in the action they did a brilliant job of that and you know i have to give major props to joseph Kaczynski because these were heavy shoes to fill yeah rest in peace Tony Scott who did a brilliant fucking job with the original and not to interrupt but there's there's a beautiful dedication at the there end is at the end Tony yes Scott. and I'm so thankful for that because again he was gonna make that movie himself and he didn't get the opportunity but to see someone with so little under his belt in terms of being a director handle this i mean he's directed some big movies but they're not anywhere near the level of quality that this well that's what i'm saying in fact as i was watching the movie i kept thinking that the movie was directed because i forgot i thought the movie was directed by christopher mcquarrie who did the last few mission impossible but But it wasn't until the end where it was like directed by joseph kosinski and i was like oh yeah like that one guy yeah so i mean movies that no one really talked i mean tron legacy is like it's beautiful to look at. It's not the best movie. You don't like Oblivion. Um, Again, great to look at, but Oblivion is so empty. And this film is full of heart. So, um, you know, as you said, I think this is a, a very welcome return to a certain kind of blockbuster movie that, that has really been missing in our current landscape. Um, it's very nuts and bolts, uh, crowd-pleasing, um, no frills, just pure adrenaline perfectly little, said little bit cornball uh but fun and we want cornball it's fucking top gun man <laughs> you need some cornball well that's the thing i think um one last thing i want to mention before we wrap up and do final thoughts is that the music in this film um doesn't hold a candle as far as the soundtrack itself um th- there's of course instead of a beach volleyball scene there is a beach football scene and the original the beach volleyball scene, of course, uh, one of my favorite songs of all time. And I'm not exaggerating. I'm, this well, may some, be, something from Top Gun, uh, the original movie, is your favorite of all time? Okay. Playing with the You're boys. You're putting this on record right playing now. Playing with the boys by Kenny Loggins <laughs> is the greatest song of all time. The extended dance, rather, the extended uh, remix on the album is one of my favorite songs ever. I just think it's fucking brilliant um, and hilarious hilariously homoerotic but anyway uh this movie has this very generic very shitty uh top 40 sounding one republic song playing over it and it really kills the sexiness of the i hate that song yeah it just very uh, it, it sounds like something you would hear uh in a car commercial and not a good car commercial bro it sounds like something you'd hear at church if you go <laughs> to one of those rich trendy churches uh yeah it was bad um so yeah uh and then of course the score like Hans Zimmer uh 
collaborated with Harold Faltermeyer, who per- who did the original did the score. original score and Lady Gaga. She came. Lady in Gaga too has a score credit. And you can tell when, because uh, I listen very closely, you can tell which bits are Harold Faltermeyer's, which bits are Hans Zimmer's, and which bits are Lady Gaga's. <laughs> like, and I'm not a huge fan of Gaga's song "Hold My Hand," but I understand why people like it. It's not one of my favorites. Yeah, please, but. I think she she's done much better efforts elsewhere. Um, I, the song is self, itself is fine, and it works in the movie where it plays. Uh, but I do think that. It's not her best effort and a bit repetitive. It's just kind of the same hold my hand over and over again. But uh, yeah, the music, uh, that was that was definitely an area in which the original surpassed this one. But on the whole, I'd say that, as I said in my initial reaction tweet, I think this builds upon the legacy of, of the predecessor while easily overtaking it. The original was ego-driven military propaganda. Top Gun Maverick is ego-driven military propaganda, and it's amazing. Um, This is one of those movies that just makes you feel good. Like, you just leave the theater and you're uplifted. You've been taken on a ride. You're you're, you're pumping your fists with your friends. The story, of course, is, is total preposterous schlock. And besides being entertainment, it's really just another opportunity for Cruz to stroke his ego. And there are some moments that I that come across like again a little corny or overly reverent to the original. When I wish it would have spent a little bit more time on the new stuff it introduced, but I mean it's funny, it's exciting, it has an honest emotional core, and I think it just further demonstrates that Cruz and his team have a real pra- a real passion rather for the the craft of movie making. It's just a really well oiled movie machine. So. Color me shocked, Justin. I'm shocked. But I'm giving Top Gun Maverick a 9 out of 10. Oh my fucking God. (laughs) It is a miracle. And I'm going to jump right out and say, I'm locking step with you, baby. 9 out of 10 for me too. I I don't even know. I'm surprised it's not a 10 out of 10. You know, um, maybe you need to be longer. I don't know. Maybe I needed more of what I saw in the movie that I loved so much. It is a near perfect movie. Um, I was also shocked at your reaction to the movie, but my my own reaction to the movie. I was excited for it. I like new Tom Cruise action movies. I watch every single one of them. Um, I like the original Top Gun a lot. I own the 4K. Um, I've watched a lot since I was a kid. I'm not the biggest fan. It's not up there with Back to the Future or the original Batman or the Indiana Jones movies or whatever, you know, what have you, the bigger movies from the 80s. But I really enjoy it. So it's a great fucking movie. And if you have any takeaway from this review, it's you're going to go see it opening weekend in IMAX on the biggest screen possible you're going to grab a big bucket of popcorn, maybe even have some pregame drinks before you go and just let the movie happen to you. Just embrace it. Allow let yourself it to be taken you. on the ride. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Fly fucking high. I mean, because that was the one thing for me, man. I was ready to fly, but I was not ready to fly that high. And the movie really took me way beyond my expectations. So that is our Epic Film Guys classic review of Top Gun Maverick. Go see it in theaters. Do not miss this movie. I tell you right now, it is the movie blockbuster of the summer. You don't want to miss this one. Loisos, if they're interested in finding Epic Film Guys on the social media, tell them where they can find us. You can find us on social media at Epic Film Guys, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And yeah. We're everywhere else. Yeah, yeah. everywhere else. And uh, while you're at it, stop by our Patreon. Become a patron of Epic Film yeah. Guys, and you'll get uh, you'll get swag and exclusive content, etc. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on the show, Justin. Thanks for listening, everybody. I mean, I love how he's like, "Thanks for having me on the show." Well, listen, listen. Like it's years. been a long time. It's been a long time since I've been on the mic. I don't feel exactly. I mean, I feel like I fell right back into it, but I was a little nervous. I felt like I wasn't sure if i could we only did the batman <laughs> a few months ago i know, you know but and you 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 introduce movies every single week at alamo draft house in front of like hundreds of people so it's not really any different you're just talking you don't even have to look at anyone except for me 
that beautiful, gorgeous face of yours. Oh. And ladies and gentlemen, I have to apologize. You probably will hear some coughing and sneezing on this episode because the pollen is very high and I'm allergic as a motherfucker. So Go I'm get finally some rest. feeling... Well, yeah, well, I'll have a drink of some Tito's and some <laughs> CBD. Maybe I'll smoke a joint or something after this. But Oh, my goodness. I'm still I'm still high on Top Gun, man. I want to go see that shit right now. Unfortunately, it's not out yet upon this recording. We're recording this May 17th. The movie's still got, what? Ten days. Ten days left. So, yes, but I just wanted to apologize for that. And if you ever want to do us a favor, seriously, uh, if you like what you're hearing, if you don't like what you're hearing and you just want to show us some props, whatever you want to do, Head on over to iTunes or Spotify. Either app allows you to rate or review the epic film, guys, the EFG Classic or Brain Stew, the episodes that I do that are all horror with Jeremy and B. Rat-tat-tat-tatty. Um <laughs> Looking forward to just giving you more and more content, the EFG Classic and more horror shit. We just want to give you content, man. That's what we're here for. So as long content. as I'm alive and these allergies aren't completely destroying me, uh, we'll be giving you content. Can't wait to bring Nick back on for another EFG classic. Who knows what he wants to come on for again? <laughs> uh, he keeps talking about canon quarantine, so maybe that'll be a thing. But, Ooh. you know, I just got to say how much I love you guys. Thanks so, so much for listening. And until next time, I'm Justin. And I'm Loisos. And we will see you at the movies. <laughs> <laughs>